This is the Tribune Audio Network. This is the Backstory Podcast. I'm Larry Potash. On this show, we uncover the backstory behind some of the most intriguing tales in history, culture, science, and religion. In this episode, the Negro Leagues turn 100 this year. Many of the players from the early days of the Negro Leagues never quite got the notoriety of Major League players. And while many Negro League players have been forgotten, some people are working to shine a light on their legacy. This is The Backstory. Baseball may be the American pastime, but the existence of the Negro League is an embarrassing chapter some would like to forget. Hamtramck Field near Detroit is one of five remaining stadiums where Negro Leaguers played. It's built in 1930 for the Detroit Stars. Like the memory of Negro League players, the stadium looks like it's been ignored too. Perhaps because any evidence of black baseball is a reminder of discrimination. Places like this are also a symbol of determination. Okay, so I'm standing approximately on home plate at Hamtramck Stadium. First base would be that way. Baseball historian Gary Gillette is trying to restore the stadium. Okay, so we're going out the pitcher's mound here under the snow. Technically, we're trespassing. Trespassing, but nobody really cares. Even GPS doesn't recognize Hamtramck Stadium. For decades, people thought it was weird that they would build a Negro League park in a Polish city, a Polish suburb. There are only a handful of places in the country where you can go see where Negro League teams played, and the history of this place is fascinating. The stadium is on the National Register of Historic Places, but without national landmark status, it's not enough to protect it from developers. Finding respect has been a difficult journey for African Americans in the world of baseball. There are many excuses. They aren't good enough, disciplined, or dedicated enough to play in the white major leagues. People like Satchel Paige eventually proved them wrong, but many less famous are forgotten. All black professional baseball teams exist as far back as the 1880s. The first, a team of waiters at the Argyle Hotel, a summer resort on Long Island. And it was a form of entertainment for the wealthy people who came out there for summer vacations. Catcher Fleetwood Walker is the first African-American to join a major league team, the Toledo Blue Stockings of the American Association in 1884. But baseball in the 1880s sees a resurgence of racism led by Cap Anson of the National League Chicago White Stockings, a precursor of the Cubs. Anson refuses to play against Walker. As many as 60 black players play on organized baseball teams in the 19th century, by 1898, there are none. It was a gentleman's agreement, or I would call a son of a bitch agreement. The sons of bitches that ran Major League Baseball, Minor League Baseball, 
pretended there was no reason that blacks couldn't play. They just couldn't find any good black players. Well, it was all racism, pure and simple. A color barrier is built that lasts nearly six decades. I would say that American history and discrimination against African Americans and baseball history and the segregation uh, up till uh, the late 40s uh, are inextricably intertwined with American history. We shoot video here at a vacant Hamtramck Stadium on a snowy Martin Luther King holiday. So I'm standing in the grandstand at Hamtramck Stadium behind home plate, looking out towards center field. But within these walls, players once enjoyed the same summer nights. The crack of the bat sounded no different. Visiting teams included baseball greats Satchel Paige, Josh Gibson, and Cool Papa Bell. They were such fabulous players. I think that's kind of hard to accept that men of color were so, so great. Joyce Stern's father was the hometown hero of the Detroit Stars, Turkey Stearns. Dad was quiet, reserved, loving and caring. He didn't talk much. He let his bat do the talking. Deciphering a curveball is one of the toughest tasks in all of sports. But for African-American ballplayers like Turkey Stearns, that is the least of their worries. They face issues like transportation, poverty, and racism to literally risk their lives in some cases in hopes of greater opportunity. They would stop to eat and they were denied access to the restaurants. That was a challenge and there was no air conditioning on the buses. So these men played under very difficult circumstances. My dad was not bitter. He got up every day and he enjoyed playing because as my sister said, he played for the love of the game. He had no animosity toward anybody. Turkey Stearns was a lifetime 348 hitter and led his league in home runs six times. And yet, most people have never heard of him. Because of racism, discrimination, I mean, that's the real answer. My dad's in five Hall of Fame and people don't know that and they still don't know who he is. And that's because people are uneducated and unknowledgeable because they choose to be that way. So tell us the story of the plaques. Okay, the first one is from the Afro-American Sports Hall of Fame. That was the first induction. Joyce Stearns and her sister Rosalind Stearns Brown traveled the country to tell the story of their father. I found out the kids knew nothing about Negro League Baseball, and they grew up thinking that Mickey Mantle and Babe Ruth were the heroes. And I said, no, we have our own heroes. And I said, and one of them is my dad. Why do they call him Turkey? Now, that's up for discussion because some people say that it was because he flapped his arms and the way he ran around the bases. But he told me that he said he got his nickname because of the speed, because he said turkeys can get up to 40 miles an hour. In the offseason, Turkey Stearns works for Walter Briggs in his auto body factories. But Walter Briggs has another business that would not allow blacks, the Detroit Tigers. They could work in his factory, but his slogan was, no jigs with Briggs so that no black would ever play on his team, and he had to die first. And then I think in 1958, Ozzie Virgil was the first person of color to play on his team. That kind of attitude is part of the legacy of African-American players. Rube Foster is tired of waiting for his big chance. One of the great pitchers of the early 20th century, he establishes the legendary Chicago American Giants in 1911. Then he creates the first long-lasting professional league for African-American players, which operates from 1920 to 1931. 
When Jackie Robinson breaks the racial barrier in 1947, people like Rube Foster and Turkey Stearns are past their prime, but they paved the way for others. When integration came, black fans said they wanted to see their heroes play against the white boys and see how good they were. And of course, Jack Robinson, Willie Mays, Hank Aaron, Ernie Banks, these guys, all of whom started the Negro Leagues, proved how great they were and how it was idiotic to think there weren't major league caliber ball players throughout the Negro Leagues. As the father of black baseball, Rube Foster's elegant gravestone in Burr Oak Cemetery reveals his legacy is a bit more enduring than some of his colleagues. Other Negro League players, well, for many, we don't even know where they're buried. He ran it with an iron fist. Uh, Jeremy like, Kroc like is an anesthesiologist from Joliet. He's part of a group investigating where Negro League players are buried to give them a proper marker. It's a very important part of American history. It should be an embarrassing part of American history to us and the Major League Baseball that these, these great players were excluded. Kroc grew up in Ardmore, Missouri, the hometown of Negro League All-Star Jimmy Crutchfield, who played for the Chicago American Giants. Our family always goes to cemeteries. We are big cemetery people, paying tribute to our family that passed before us. So I took the family to Baroque Cemetery here in Chicago. We have to go see Jimmy Crutchfield's grave. Um, but there's no grave marker there. It's about honoring their lives. Sometimes we say we give recognition, we give redemption. He traces the burial sites of players and so far has erected 40 grave markers. Perhaps the gravestone begins to retell the story. There's an old saying that you, you die three times. You die when your heart stops, you die when you're buried, and you die when someone says your name for the very last time. And hopefully by placing these grave markers down, people cross over and say Jimmy Crutchfield, and that keeps Jimmy Crutchfield alive. Probably explains why today. I feel both humility and pride, because God let me play the game and to learn to be good at it. In Ted Williams' Hall of Fame induction speech in 1966, he offers hope for the legacy of Negro Leaguers. And I hope that someday the names of Satchel Paige and Josh Gibson in some way can be added as a symbol of the great Negro players that are not here only because they were not given a chance. Page says he doesn't want to be in some Negro League exhibit in a corner of the Hall of Fame. He wants full induction, and he gets it in 1971, the first Negro League player to be inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. There are now 29 players, five executives, and one player executive, Rube Foster. Turkey Stearns is inducted in 2000, 21 years too late. He dies in 1979. We should celebrate people when they're alive, and we should celebrate the differences. God made us all different for a reason. Sometimes I wonder why. It might have been a lot easier if we were all white or all the same color, you know, but we're not for a reason. So we have to learn to get together and live together in peace and harmony. And that's what the Negro Leaguers did, and that's what my dad stood for. So they were great role models for us to live and pattern our lives after and teach our children to live that way. What a great place this world would be if we did that. Many were left out, left waiting by the phone for a call that would never come. The excuse? They weren't real major leaguers. Which to me is saying, okay, because we screwed you over once, we're going to screw you over again. 
Were blacks good enough? How about flipping that question? Would whites be as good had they faced stars of black baseball, increasing the competition of the entire league? We'll never know. After integration, the MVP award in the National League is won, uh, I think, nine times in 12 years or 10 times in 12 years by black players. Jack Robinson, Ernie Banks, Willie Mays, Hank Aaron, Willie McCovey, they dominated the National League. Like Turkey Stearns, many are too old when integration happens. They miss out on their opportunity on the biggest stage. But white people miss out too, never having seen amazing players like Turkey Stearns. Nobody plays at Hamtramck Stadium now. It's quiet. We will have a field here that'll be used all summer, all spring. Gary Gillette hopes to change that by generating $5 million to renovate this historic place. But it's not to build a quiet monument. Kids playing here would more honor the glory days. They whittle their own bats play in cow pastures and create their own glory. Ex-players tell of fond memories despite the struggle. Like the rusty fence or splintered benches at Hamtramck Stadium, they are glad that part's eroded, but sad the glory seems forgotten. The legacy may not be the statistics, but the attitude of players who persevered through hate and poverty. Jimmy Crutchfield once said, we didn't have time to hate people, we had ball games to worry about. Thanks for listening to Backstory. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute to subscribe to our podcast or leave a review. To watch our full coverage of this story and see some that didn't make it to the podcast, visit us online at wgntv.com slash Backstory. This has been a production of the Tribune Audio Network.